This episode is sponsored by Bliss Network, whose titles include LA Yoga and Boston Yoga magazines. The mission of Bliss Network is to connect community, offer meaningful inspiration, educate readers on real-world sustainable solutions, showcase people finding balance in their lives and pursuing dreams, and to provide suggestions for practice. The aim of both print magazines and digital platforms is to empower readers with tools that allow them to live life with balance, integrity, and vitality. Visit layoga.com. On this episode, we have Susanna Harwood-Rubin. Susanna is an artist, writer, yoga instructor, and speaker. She co-authored the exhibition Companion entitled Looking at Matisse and Picasso while she worked as a writer and lecturer at the Museum of Modern Art. She's also the author of Yoga 365, Daily Wisdom on and Off the Mat, a book of readings related to yoga. In addition, she teaches a series of classes online where she guides students on writing, yoga, and yogic philosophy. Susanna, great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's really great to be here. I always have this difficulty in describing my friend Susanna to other people because (laughs) you are this Renaissance woman who does a brilliant job of weaving um, all of your interests with with grace. And uh, the three threads that I've witnessed are um, art, writing, and yoga. And I fear I may have left something out, but... (laughs) That that, that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. Well, we're going to dive into all those arenas, but um, I've always associated you with New York and New York City, uh, but I don't think I ever asked a question. Were you born in the city? I was not, interestingly. Um, I, well, it's kind of bizarre. I was born actually in New Jersey where my parents were living while my dad was working in New York. And then we quickly moved to New England, and I grew up in Massachusetts, or Boston. Okay. Uh, All right, so that's where high school was. Yeah, everything. Yeah, that was where most of my education was. Got you. Well, I know that um, the passion for writing started very early, grade school, poetry. Yes, Um, absolutely. It just continued to to flourish from there. What are your... Uh, remembrances of writing um, pre-college? I'm laughing because I can't believe you remember that. Like we must have talked about that so long ago. <laughs> but it's true. I was, it left um, an impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I was, yeah, I was always um, in love with reading and writing. And, and that was like as, you know, as a child, I would like make little poetry books and illustrate them for fun. <laughs> and um, and then that sort of followed on and I went to, I was very serious about both art and writing in high school and also in college, but I didn't ever think I would be, at, at that point in time, I wasn't thinking, when I was little, I was like, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna be a writer and, a, and an artist and this and you know all the other 10 things that every little kid thinks they're gonna be. And, um, but it wasn't until really, my late 20s, mid to late 20s, when I was working at the Museum of Modern Art, that suddenly my writing skills were so called for professionally. And, and then kind of a little after that, I sort of was on the crest of the wave of bloggers in the yoga world. So I shifted from writing about art to writing about yoga. So I don't know if I answered your question, but there's Yes, that. yes, we have, <laughs> yeah. and you've inspired an onslaught of additional follow-up ones. So to that effect, um, your first experience with art, and uh, like, wh- when was that um, passion lit? 
when I was really little. I mean, I just knew it just made me so I can I have vivid, vivid memories of drawing and making clay stuff when I was probably like definitely like five years old, four years old, stuff like that. So, oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, funny. When did you take your first yoga class? And again, interestingly, when I was very young, there's a place where we used to go swimming in the summer. It was like a swimming pool that was part of a, a private school. And in the summer, they let anyone, you know, come and you know, be a swim team there and do all kinds of stuff. And someone offered a free yoga class or like, you know, some, something like that. And there were a couple of them and I can remember doing them. And I'm, I don't remember how old I was then. I must have been somewhere between like eight and 12, <laughs> I don't really know, but I can remember really loving it and it being so easy for me. And, you know, cause little kids are so bendy at that age. And then I found it again in high school. It was kind of, I just did two classes and then it was several years later. And then I found it in high school. And by my senior year, I was one day teaching it in high school. That's fantastic. Wow. That, that passion really uh, developed quickly and you were an instructor. That's really good. It ebbed though, it ebbed. Like, I mean, back then it was like, oh, stand on your head. Okay, now sit down. Now I'll do a guided meditation. I'm reading out of a book. Like it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't like the hardcore yoga scene that exists sure. today. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until later I danced in college and then finally back in New York years later, found yoga again, de-stress from the art world. <laughs> and then that was it yeah 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 so after college you spent some time in Paris um just a little I mean I had studied for part of my um time in college in Paris just like part of my junior year and then I went back afterwards because I really wanted to focus on refining the language that's yeah. where you fell in love with Proust well actually it was before it was during college because when I was studying it was the first I was reading part of Remembrance of Things Past and we were reading that in class and I can remember all of a sudden I was reading it and realizing that suddenly I wasn't just struggling to understand the language, but I was actually being moved by the language. And it was so beautiful to me. And I went to class the next day and, and I said, oh, it was so beautiful. And they, everyone there was across the board was like, oh my God, it's so boring. I'm like... <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm so alone. And my yeah. love for Proust was ignited, though. And then I, I ended up reading most of it in English because I read painfully slowly in French and very quickly in English. So, Well, uh, Proust is a fairly polarizing figure. Yeah. In fact, when an, uh, I think a, a recent edition came out and they altered the title to Search of Lost Time. And so that, yeah. that's been the butt of many jokes, saying that the lost time is in reading Proust. <laughs> I never heard that. Maybe people are sensitive around me. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a fun question. Okay. Was Proust a yogi? Oh, that's a tough question. It depends what we mean by yogi. I would say overall, probably not. I mean, he was a, actually a very kind of um, contradictory figure. He was very popular with the aristocracy, yet he was, he was kind of a climber. You know, he wasn't an aristocrat by any means. He was this absolute genius, but his interests were often really, really superficial. Like he wrote the social, like gossipy things for the newspaper and stuff. And then he holed himself up toward the end of his life and like in his cork lined room so he wouldn't be disturbed by sound and wrote this thing obsessively. 
but so it was he was this kind of he was a dandy you know he was like he was he had like the wit of oscar wilde and people were like scared of his wit and everything so i don't know about him being a yogi i don't know <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. there were some quotes i stumbled upon which seemed to suggest it um love is space and time measured by the heart oh yeah that's so him i mean he his thing his way of putting things into words is so exquisite um so i mean yeah some of those concepts are pretty um yogic in their nature perhaps yeah. i mean he's talking about memory and involuntary memory and exploring i guess we could say like the temple within so and that being a repository of um so many histories and so many parts of life and memories that we don't even know are there um so that you access to a taste or a smell or you know a, a sound or so the sensitivity level is sort of that of a, a yogi, I think, and the attentiveness to the inner life. Yeah, no, and I think this quote um, highlights that. Uh, it's the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but seeing with new eyes. Absolutely. Well, this could be a, a rabbit hole that we go down. and uh, Yeah, easily. <laughs> he was certainly the master of the marathon sentence. And I yeah, just, I sort of uh, liken him to uh, Salman Rushdie who does a similar oh, thing. Yeah. You're right, he does, yeah. Your passion for writing has led you to be, uh, you know, to teach in that forum as well. And you had these writing workshops, writing your practice. Are, are you still doing that? I am, yeah. I taught it, although I, the last time I taught it was a couple of years ago, uh, two and a half years ago. But yeah, I, I teach those courses. I teach them as workshops in different places and I teach them online and I like to incorporate a lot of writing in longer workshops just so people have reflection time and i actually really love enjoy teaching people to write too so um and just refining their way of writing and getting them <clears throat> over um, writer's block and stuff like that mm. that's like incredibly interesting and fun for me to do who's your ideal student for your workshop oh that's an interesting question um my ideal student someone with a love of words, um, who is interested in self-expression and open to experimentation, which is why I think it's great in yoga context a lot of the time, because you can like practice a little and, and then write and it shifts your chemistry, you know, of your body, of your brain, of everything. And, and it's an interesting way to move into writing, I think, sometimes. We talked earlier about the interweaving of your passions, and I feel like the intersection of art and writing kind of met its pinnacle when you co-authored the uh, exhibition um, uh, book for uh, the Picasso Matisse um, uh, exhibition at the, at the MoMA. And I believe that was in the early 2000s. And I, I remember when we met a decade after that came out, I kind of had this jaw dropping moment because I was so moved by that. That's like, oh my God, I'm now sitting in a coffee shop with the writer. <laughs> it was uh, uh, an amazing experience for me. But share about uh, that process and, and, and what you went well, through. It's actually pretty interesting because I was in the education department for many, many years at MoMA. Um, I started as a freelancer lecturing and then was brought on staff part-time, which was great for me as an artist. I was like, I want to be part-time. I don't want a full-time job. And, um, and then I, I lectured a lot and did educational work and then ended, there are always like writing things that come up, whether you're, 
you know, adding content to a grant or like describing an artwork for, you know, to send to someone and, you know, and we developed a lot of educational curriculum. And then when Matisse Picasso show came up, when we were just talking, this um, colleague of mine and I in the education department, and we both we were like laughing about how, you know, MoMA produces these amazing, these amazing catalogs for their exhibitions, but it won't, it's not comprehensive. It's usually not about the exhibition itself. It's usually about some, like they'll get three different scholars to write essays on different aspects. Your average person who just wanted to really understand why these two together, what's this relationship? Why is it significant? <clears throat> and why am I reading this? Like wouldn't have those questions answered from the, from the catalog. It's very cerebral, very, um, beautifully written intellectual all kinds of like postmodern theory. So we proposed writing uh, for the general public, small additional catalog. Um, and they, <laughs> it was kind of funny, but they kept saying, well, we like this so far, write a little more. We like this, write a little more. We like this, write a little more. And so by the time they approved it and said yes, it was two months before the exhibition opened. I, I mean, I, it was insane. And we had one month to write it. And we had written probably about half of it at that point, but we worked seven days a week. And I can remember because it was over Thanksgiving and my parents came to New York and I just took like the afternoon off to have Thanksgiving meal with them and that was it. And we were just working seven days wow. and we got it done. But, um, but it was really engaging and people were like, oh, I get it. This maps out this relationship and why these two had this friendship and this rivalry and how they fit each other's work. And it's a story of a great, um, creative um relationship yeah no and uh feverish pace for sure to get it done but it was done brilliantly and uh, has left an indelible mark on me for sure well thank you so much <laughs> i'm still very proud of it actually I, you I should love, be. Yeah. i love that writing and i and i miss writing on art sometimes so who knows you know maybe yeah. i'll go back to some point <laughs> exactly. Hopefully that interview will be found yeah. again. Um, your fans would really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you do an annual pilgrimage to Tamil Nadu in India. Yes, I do. Yes. How did that come about? I never, ever even entertained the thought of being a yoga teacher yeah. <clears throat> professionally. So what happened is I started doing yoga when I was very much in the center of the New York City art world. Um, and I was showing work all over the place. I have, yeah, it's work out by you, the Hammer Museum, that's drawings of mine, the Berkeley Museum, like my drawings are like everywhere. But um, I was very stressed out and very, and I always did well in terms of getting my work into good collections, but I never did well financially in the art world. And it was always very frustrating to me and, um, and also just stressful. And I didn't enjoy the process of going to art openings and like networking and it just was so uninteresting to me and but yet i felt like i had to spend so much of my time doing that because that's how things happen when you you know 90 percent of success is showing up right so <clears throat> it was i felt like i was spending as much time doing that if not more than doing my work and unless you're really lucky and you trip into like the right gallery and the galleries i worked with were very difficult um to deal work with like you know, like begging to be paid and all, like, I can't even, that's a whole nother story. But um, I just got sick of it. I got sick of the art world and it sucked the joy out of art making for me for the first time in my entire life. And I never had a doubt that's what I was doing with my life. 
And so I started practicing yoga just to relieve my stress. And, um, and I was doing residency. I did a bunch of different residencies and stuff. And finally, 9-11 um, happened. And it was right after that that I was urged by my then teacher to take a yoga teacher training. It was Amy Apollody, and she was mm -hmm. living in New York still then. Now she's out in Boulder, but she said, well, why don't you take this teacher training? I was like, I already do two things that earn me no money, namely art and writing. I don't need another one. <laughs> so um, she's like, no, no, no. But you know, there was nothing like an immersion then. It wasn't really, this was just like, you know, right after 9-11, it, it was a different yoga world then. And she said, no, it's just a way of going deeper into the practice. And I was like, okay. And so I did it. And did our first weekend, this is all going back to Tamil Nadu. <laughs> this is um, our first weekend. This guy, Douglas Brooks, Dr. Douglas Brooks was there to teach us philosophy. And he promptly blew my mind. And I was like, I didn't know this was yoga. Like, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that this was yoga too. And the, the idea of jnana yoga, uh, the yoga of wisdom, of the mind, and of knowledge. And, um, and he, I was so moved, like everything he said, I was like just blown away. And it was an emotional time anyway, because we were all, you know, downtown New York, you know, out right after 9-11. And, but if it weren't for him, I would not have become a yoga teacher. And he knows this, he and I are still very close. As a matter of fact, later today, I'm um, tuning in for one of his Gita sessions. He's doing a huge um, Gita um, workshop right now. And, um, he, I basically, his entire history, as you know, I know you know a little bit about him, but I'll just say it for people who don't, is um, he studied for many years in Madurai in, um, in with his teacher and the house of his teacher, and which was very unusual for a Brahmin, you know, in that day and age to let someone, you know, a non-Brahmin, let alone like a Western guy, you know, into their home in Tamil Nadu where they have almost no Westerners anyway. And so because of that relationship, you know, and he went on to do his studies at, ironically, we went to the same college. I, I started going on pilgrimage to Tamil Nadu with him and to the great Nataraja Temple of Chidambaram and Tilaikali, who's very dear to my heart as well. And I've been many times with him actually, and it's incredible, but I also, I started um, going on pilgrimage with him and then just staying after by myself after the group left. Um, so I can have both, ex the, the ecstasy of pilgrimage in a group setting is I, it's intoxicating. I mean, you're surfing on everyone's energy and it's amazing. Yeah. I've seen in, in your writings, your posts, and, and even your, your Facebook profile, um, images of, of Hindu goddesses. Mm. And um, talk with us about uh, your affinity to, to them, their images, what they represent. What, what does that mean for, for you, for Susanna? Yeah. Um, as I entered the temple for the first time, I felt like I had always been there. I mean, it was just absolutely familiar to me. And given I'd studied about it for years, but it was different. It felt like, like there was something happening between the stones and my, the soles of my feet that was deeply familiar and beautiful and just answered a lot of wordless questions for me. It's very welcoming about that. And I've always been treated so beautifully in the temple who are so kind there and welcoming they just figure if you're here you care and that's all they care about it's very lovely not all temples are like that they are like yeah, that true um but back to like to the goddesses and everything i think of them and when i teach about this stuff a lot of the time i talk about 
the deities as being named aspects of ourselves. Mm. And if you think about the root of the word like um, Deva or Devi, you know, God or goddess, it's like, it means light. So this idea that there's this luminosity or there's um, this different spiritual qualities that we can name, that we experience in ourselves and in the world around us. It's funny, in India, and a friend of my dad said, is Susanna a Hindu now? And he, and he said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. And then people ask me, and I'm like, I don't call myself anything. I just, mm. I just know that I have a very deep relationship with Shiva and a very deep relationship with Kali nice. and, you know, and Ganesha and so many others. But, mm. um, you know, Shiva, I mean, creation, maintenance, dissolution, concealment, and revelation. It's the structure of the universe, of a life, of a breath, of a body of a day, you know, of a yoga class to Shavasana. And when it's delivered in this way that's with incredible artistry and beauty and, um, and ritual and honoring of these, these essential realities of life, it's just like, it's so beautiful. It's interesting because you asked about the goddesses and that's been something that's deepened for me in the past couple of years actually, has taken me longer strangely because i'm mm -hmm. such a feminist and a girl's girl and everything but it's taken me longer um to find the deep deep connection with the goddess and right. and i did you know um this past past couple of years and um i stopped trying so hard uh, <laughs> i stopped being such yeah. a little like american pushing forward and just relaxed <laughs> and received and there she was that's so. well that's so well said has uh, drawing always been your artistic medium of choice? Yes, I, lo I love it. I mean, I, I, interestingly, it's like I was a sculpture major or something in college, but, um, but my sculptural work has always been very like low-key and kind of um, low-tech and kind of related to drawing. It's kind of funny, like sewing stuff out of felt and there's something about, but drawing is definitely my main thing. So drawing is... Um, it's always been at the heart of things, and I love, there's actually um, an artist, a conceptual artist by the name Mel Bachner, who said, like, the best thing I've ever thought of for, like, art making, and for, especially for drawing, which is that it's thought made visible. Mm. Isn't that great? Like, and he had an exhibition that was called That Thought Made Visible. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. And when you think about art like that, and you think about, and drawing in particular, it's something about the immediacy of inscribing, and that does something it shows you a little bit more how someone's thinking it's mm. not so processed it's more immediate you know true that, there's something uh, more raw yeah about it it's also it's very much an exploration of line yeah my sense. yeah i love line <laughs> yeah, that's great no thank you for sharing that um i want to be sure we leave some time to talk about um this very seminal life-altering event that you went through and yeah. and how that has changed um how you approach the things you do in the world right i've chosen to be very open about this episode in my life on social media <laughs> and um and interestingly i had a publisher come after me for it so we'll see some <laughs> some things in the works there we'll see but um yeah i was diagnosed definitively i had been observed for several years and then i was definitively diagnosed two years ago this month um actually in april with um, breast cancer that so many spots of it like tiny little spots of, of what's called 
DCIS ductal carcinoma in situ. And it wasn't like it was one place. There's no lump to feel. It's kind of, a, um, everyone's like, if you feel a lump, you know, and it's like, well, that's nice, but that wasn't how it was for me. There was no lump. It was cellular. And um, I had to have a double mastectomy. And there was really no other choice because <clears throat> I had been diagnosed. They had seen this stuff in me, but it wasn't invasive. And I opted for three years to do active surveillance, which is an option for many women in this. Um, but I was unbelievably stressed out for those three years. So, I, you know, who knows why after all those years, it finally went into my lymph nodes, but it did. I mean, when they looked at my images, they said, this has been in you for eight years. And then I went three more years without doing anything. So in my mind, I was like, it's been doing nothing for eight years. Why would I want to do a double mastectomy? Something that's not doing anything. It was just a quirky thing. They were like, eh, you know, let's biopsy this. It's been in you for ages. And they were like, oops. And so it, who knows? Like maybe if I didn't know and I didn't freak out and stress out nonstop for years, you know, maybe, maybe nothing would have happened. Um, but who knows, you know, it's a big unknown. No one knows anything about cancer. It's so mysterious, really. Mm -hmm. And it went into my lymph nodes and it ended up being quite extensive. My lymph nodes on one side, nine out of 10 lymph nodes were positive for cancer, which is really unusual. Oh, yes. And the doctors didn't think it and they were shocked. They were like, what? They didn't, they were shocked. My surgeon was shocked when she got the lab results back. As it ended up, I needed months of chemo and of radiation. And it was um, brutal. <laughs> There's no way around it. It was the, it's, it's as bad as everyone says it is and worse. And, but weirdly, you can get through it. It's remarkable what you can get through when you choose to. And, um, and it made me recognize how, how deeply I love living. And, um, and I have to say, and this is sort of the, the biggest takeaway for me, and this is what I'm, one of the things I'm writing on right now, which is that having a sadhana, a spiritual practice, was everything. I don't know how people get through it without one. Because I felt held. And, um, and when I say this is how I kind of found my relationship with the goddess, this, is, this was it. Because I felt very, you know, Kali, who is the goddess, um, who is the most ferocious of goddesses, who everyone's usually terrified of and thinks is creepy and doesn't like want to get near her. Well, she's a badass. Her, yeah, she's a badass. <laughs> you know, she's like her hair is wild, her tongue is hanging out, and she's bloodshot eyes, and all. You know, she's crazy, scary, and her necklace of skulls. And let me tell you, you want to be with the most ferocious mm. when you're going through something that ferociously inside yourself, because I felt like she was carrying me and that energy of her ferocity that ferocity you have to be ferocious to get through it you have to be determined and you have to be profoundly loving which is not different from ferocity yeah it just depends on how it's all applied that's amazing wow thank you for that share so um the practice really helped you get through that time was writing also an important source of solace essential essential it was essential and and i was i look back now and half the stuff i've written on instagram if you go back a couple of years um it's all still there i mean i really documented it my you know my hair loss my this my all this kind of stuff um it was so cathartic i can't even 
tell you. And there were things, for whatever reason, for the first month after my surgery, I was on so many pain meds. I mean, I just had my breasts removed, you know, it's like, you know, pretty, you're probably in a ton of pain, but you don't know because you're on so many meds. I look back and I did all this writing, like, and shared a lot of it publicly. And I don't remember writing some of it. I was incapable of reading then which is really interesting. I couldn't read. I would just like the sentence would just float off the page, but for some reason I could totally write as a sitting there with my phone, writing, 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 you know? And I felt every time I wrote something about it, I felt like I had extracted like a splinter from my body and like released it. Um, and it's still, writing has always felt a little bit like that for me. Like it's a relief when I get something out, <clears throat> but that time it was like medicine. It was absolutely therapeutic through that whole process. That's amazing. Um, did your book, Yoga 365, come out of that process? Oh, no. That was out um, before that. Uh -huh. Yoga 365 was, I know, such a weird timeline. Yoga 365 came out in 2016. Okay. Um, and I was diagnosed two years ago. Or I went through surgery two years ago, May 29th, actually. So that would be two years of my surgery. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it seems like the book remains extremely popular. Like it's, it's done very well. It's being translated into Korean right now, which I'm happy about. I keep being like, how about Spanish? And they're like, if you can make a case for it, we can sell it to a Spanish publisher, but it's kind of up to me. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. But it's done very well. So I'm happy yeah. about that. That's excellent. Well, I know um, you remain active with the various workshops you're doing. I saw you had something on Illumina uh, yes. recently. <laughs> um, and you talked about a retreat in Goa that you were just involved with. Um, yes. So uh, how, in, in what other ways has this experience uh, changed how you're spending your time, how you're applying your passions, as it were? Writing is still very fluid for me. Um, and that's been great. And te my teaching is, I think, probably never been better in a way because it's fueled by this, um, what I've been through and this love of life and this desire to help other people who are struggling in any way. And going back to India was very emotional for me this past year because, of course, I missed a year. And I went and, and spent time in the temples in Tamil Nadu, went on a little mini pilgrimage with a friend. And then when it flew over to Goa, I led retreat, and that was wonderful to be back there because I co-lead retreat there. When you did get your sense for reading back, what were you craving? What did you want to read? Literature. Mm. Literature. Which authors in particular? Oh, I, God, I read so much. No, I read, I wanted to read new stuff. It was kind of funny. I kept reading. And I read stuff that I just hadn't read yet that I've been meaning to read. I read like The Goldfinch. I was like voracious and insatiable. I read everything I could get my hands on. I read a lot of stuff set in New York too, which is kind of fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Well, and speaking of New York, I remember when we were together in New York, we uh, were trying to get to that party at the Met. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was funny. <laughs> Susanna, thank you so much. It's really been such a thank treat. Thank you, Asim. It's, it's been great. It's been such a pleasure. First conversation in so long. It's I know. Great, I know. Great one. Thank yeah, you. Excellent. Thank you. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.